Hey guys, what's up? It is week 254. Let you know the uh, Secret Top 10 show is still going on, so count on one every Sunday uh, until we hit the season finale at episode 13. Then we'll have a 13-week break, and then we'll start up again if I get a good response, people like it, I find enough guests and everything like that. So yeah, um, feedback is always welcome on those kind of things. And also, speaking of feedback, like if you ever have anything about me or anything like negative or something to say like in regards to making the show better or corrections, I, I welcome all that. But please don't say really rude things to the guests or the people I have on. I mean, I understand if, if they're not your cup of tea or anything like that. But to outwardly say like really rude things to them, I'm just honestly gonna uh hide user from my channel essentially so if you're wondering why if you said something really rude on the channel about somebody that was on and all of a sudden your comments no longer get responses or no one likes or downs them or anything like that it's probably because you've been hidden from the channel which essentially i believe means that no one else can see your comments not my, my or me and so essentially you're just screaming into a void, which is what you should do if you want to be really rude. Like I said, no problem with corrections or, or anything else to help the show or even joking, you know, here and there. But try not to aim anything at the guest. Um, they're doing me a favor being on here. The last thing they need is you to say something rude to them. So, hey. Uh, anyways, we're going to hop into the reviews. And the first one up is a doozy. From 1994, I actually watched this for uh, the 1994 uh, 22 Shot Show we're going to do, and uh, it's getting, I got a 4K release during that, and I was like, okay, I'm going to rewatch this bad boy in 4K to check it out, and this is Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, directed by Kenneth Branagh, who also stars in it as Victor Von Frankenstein. Now, um, I believe the original story uh, by Mary Shelley is, is probably the greatest uh my personal favorite. I don't know if it's the greatest, but it's one of my personal favorite pieces of literature ever written. Um, and it's one of the most influential horror, uh, great gothic novel things ever, ever made. So this movie is, it's got a, a kind of a, a, an iffy reputation. I would say like, um, as far as like the technical aspects and the cast and all that stuff, it's always admired for sure. Production design, the score is absolutely fantastic. The cast is really strong. Um, Kenneth Branagh is okay in it. I think he's solid in it. But like the surrounding cast, I mean, Robert De Niro as the Frankenstein monster is something pretty crazy to think of, right? Um, and, and and when I was young, it was one of those things where it's kind of like Robert De Niro is Frankenstein's monster. That's insane. That's so silly. But uh, watching it a few times in recent years you realize how kind of layered his performance is and how he's doing some things very differently as the other Frankenstein monsters we would see previously like Boris Karloff and Christopher Lee all those kind of things but I really think it's kind of a special performance uh, Helena Bodum Carter is also um, you know Victor's uh, sister quotation not really but adopted kind of sister and eventually wife she's really good in it especially her turn at the very end we also have Ian Holm who's always great Tom Holch um, who's always solid as well. Love him in Amadeus as uh, Henry. And uh, Ian Holm plays uh, Frankenstein's father. We also have John Cleese in here. So it's just a really wonderful top-notch cast. Uh, so essentially, it's the story of Frankenstein. Kenneth Branagh is a young man, and in his early age, he suffers a great loss in his family, and he swears that no one should ever die again. No one should ever have to die. No one should ever have to feel the heartbreak of death. So that kind of uh, sets him on his, of course, his studies to become 
from this uh, kind of science, like uh, to science and everything. And he goes to study abroad, as in the book. He meets Henry, but he becomes obsessed with this uh, these old kind of scientists, more alchemists and all those kind of things like that, instead of modern science. And he wants to mix the two. I think so. Essentially, he gets obsessed with you know creating life, not just stopping people from dying. He ends up creating a monster who's played um, by Robert De Niro. And like the book, he abandons the monster after he realizes what he's done is failure. And the Frankenstein monster, Lonely, uh, escapes into a plague-ridden world and sees humanity for what it is and becomes a monster because of it, because he was abandoned. It's so so layered of a story, right? And, and everybody should know that story. They've probably seen a hundred adaptations. Think about uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Uh, it's produced by Coppola after he did Bram Stoker's Dracula. So the budget was was there. Like, it seemed endless. So they have all these wonderful moments of sprawling scenery like in the novel. And all that stuff is, is pretty top-notch, okay? Like I said, there's a lot of emotional moments. I think that this movie, although it runs at 2 hours and 3 minutes, it's about 20 minutes too short. Um, it feels like some things are very rushed. They focus on strange things like uh, that they should possibly, but then when they don't focus enough time on, you know, the, uh, the the Frankenstein monster or at the very ending, it feels like about 15 or 20 minutes were cut out. The framing story, I believe, is from the novel as well. It's been a while with the the guy on the expedition to the North Pole, played by Aiden, Aiden Quinn, and he's also shares, you know, the kind of same madness that uh, Dr. Frankenstein has, you know, that, that quest to fulfill something to be great to be different to live in history forever so uh like i said the score is amazing the set design is amazing um the drama is really high and it works really well and there's some really truly wonderful moments that the frankenstein monster has he says uh the line where he says uh he what is it he has uh he has so much love to give that uh you could never understand but uh, the, what is it? The uh, the whole, I can't remember exactly the uh, the the violence or the horror that is in him or the revenge, something along those lines that he will unleash that you will have never seen. If he if you do not give him the other, he will indulge in one. And, and it's just a beautiful moment. I really like how they play the blind man story with the family in here. De Niro learning while a young child learns and, and him kind of adapting and stuff like that. Now, we can't get the inner monologue that the Frankenstein monster had in the book that was really great comparing himself to where he got involved with Paradise Lost and, and the Bible and all that stuff. And that's all, that stuff was really great in the novel. And, of course, you can't do everything. But... As far as Frankenstein stories are, are uh, go uh, close to the, the novel, it, it's pretty decent. Of course, they take stuff from the other films and, and like they have the bride and all that kind of stuff. And Al, in the novel, it never is completed, but they do go a little bit further in this. Um, in a really tragic, great scene at the very end. I don't want to spoil absolutely everything, although it is a fucking Frankenstein story, so you should know a lot of it. Um, the, the way the monster is created is, is pretty intense. Like, we have a mixture of electric eels and, uh, um, what is it, uh, the embiotic fluid. And it's just like, and, and dead corpses and, and filled with people who died of cholera and, like, that nasty stew. And it ends up all over, like, Kenneth Branagh at one point. I was thinking, Jesus, that stuff must smell so terrible. I can't believe it. Um, in 4K, it looks really great. Like I said, this is a movie that is a big scope. It has uh, beautiful locations, 
lot of establishing shots, uh, you know, at different locations around the world. So we have a lot of that, like uh, big groups of people and, and like uh, the, the winter landscapes, of course, are in here. So all that stuff is wonderful. The uh, Frankenstein house is great with the giant staircase that goes up. They use that. So everything's shot really well. So the 4K, the, it looks the, the scope, it pops out really nice. The surround sound is really great. Uh, you really notice it when you kind of have like the lightning and hitting. I think it's only a 5.1 mix. Yeah, 5.1, no Dolby Atmos or, or uh, anything like that. But it sounded really solid. Uh, you know, big lightning strikes. Of course, it's the Frankenstein stories so are going to have that. But really, the thing that I was most interested in this release, because we had the old Blu-ray from Columbia, TriStar, I believe it was that one. We have a lot of special features. And this is a movie that I like special features on because it always felt like something was missing. Like it was like almost the perfect Frankenstein movie, but there was just a, a little bit of something missing. And and when I saw it when I was young, I probably didn't even register anything about it. I just was kind of like, oh, it's Robert De Niro's Frankenstein's monster. It's a little iffy to me. But when I rewatched it for 94, I... Uh, I tried to watch it before that years back, and I just did not care for it at all. But when I rewatched it for '94, I had an appreciation for it. Rewatching it again, uh, so shortly back to back, I, I had like a fondness for it to revisit it. And uh, we we talk about this in one of the future guests' of the secret top ten show. We talk a little bit about this movie, and uh, I think I'm higher on it now than I was when I talked about it in that show. So yeah, like I said, this movie has like a lot going for it in so many ways. It's just. Kind of like a beautiful failure is what I would call it. Um, and I don't mean that as really an insult because it's, it's such an interesting movie at the same time. Like, I enjoy that. But the features, I watched all the features on here, the new features and everything like that. And there's there's a good amount. Brand new audio commentary by film historians Michael Brook and Johnny Maines, which is really nice uh, because they talk a lot about, you know, the movie and the differences between the novel. They're obviously big Frankenstein fans, and uh, I enjoyed hearing that. Um, and they give a lot of props to the acting. And them talking about, you know, the end performance by Helena Bodum Carter, you you do register that. Like and them and, and of course their love for De Niro in here as well. I like that. Brand new interview with the composer Patrick Doyle, who I think the the score in here is probably one of the strongest parts of the movie. It's just a very big, professional, amazingly sounding, heartfelt score. There's an interview with him. A brand new interview with costume designer James uh Anson, which was also nice. Um and uh is he the one who like talks about working with um yeah, there's to go back and how like the sets and everything. Like I watched all these and they all bleed together. It's a lot of Frankenstein in a couple days. Um, then we have a brand new interview with makeup designer Daniel Parker. That's the one I remember him being in close quarters with De Niro, talking to him a lot. And they said something about having him have to do this makeup for 42 days. And De Niro was like, "Fuck that!" And they were like 21 or something like that. They cut it in half, putting him in makeup and everything. So I wonder why that was. Maybe why there wasn't as much Frankenstein monster stuff at, at certain points. Um, then we also have Mary Shelley and the creation of the monster, a brand new documentary feature at the origins and evolution of the Frankenstein story featuring gothic specialist David uh, Peary, Jonathan Rigby, and Stephen Volk. Um, these guys also come back for um, the dissecting Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, a brand new featurette with the same three on the differences between the novel and Kenneth Branagh's screen adaptation. Of course, they're going to go into the ending of this. And I, they do talk a lot about, you know, originally when uh, all this, the whole thing 
goes over how the, the book was published and the different times it was published and all that kind of stuff and whose name was on it. Um, and of course, Lord Byron and all that stuff and the creation of the book and all this. And then we have Frankenstein, a liberal uh, adaptation from Miss uh, Shelley's famous story uh, for Edison production. Okay, yeah. Uh, this is the, the first uh, Frankenstein movie. It's about 12 minutes long, and the Frankenstein monster in that, it's the like the classic very black and white silent. Frankenstein monster in this looks freaking weird. He's very creepy. I'm sure you've seen a still of him. He's got big hair. It's kind of crazy. And then, of course, we have... Um, okay, it's a 2K uh, master on that, too. We have original trailers, reversible sleeve featuring original and newly commissioned artwork by Las Marquez. So, yeah, um, as far as... Oh, it does have Dolby Audio. My bad. I didn't want to screw that up. Maybe it's... Um, it says Dolby All. I don't remember it being like a Dolby Atmos score, though. Maybe it's just Dolby 5.1 on there. So, anyways, uh, I, I thought this looked tremendous. I thought it sounded pretty solid. And the movie itself, like, it's, it's it has so much cool things going for it. So big on scope. Like... And, and there's some of those movies, those big Hollywood productions that don't always 100% work, but you could sit there and admire it. And uh, over time, those ones always grow on me. Like, I know people hated Waterworld. And honestly, like, watching Waterworld, I've never, I never disliked Waterworld either. I know, but this one always was a little bit more of a sour point for me because you could almost see the greatest Frankenstein movie ever made, but then these, these, these things fall through and you still never top the 1931 Frankenstein movie or the sequel Bride. So anyways, it's still a great release to have. Uh, it's got some uh, booklet in here, of course, which is very cool. Yeah. And, and uh, I didn't, the first couple times I watched this, I didn't even recognize John Cleese in here. He's uh, very hard to recognize. So anyways, just a, a pretty wild Frankenstein movie. And actually heartfelt as well so check it out mary shelley's frankenstein in 4k from arrow films okay i'm going to tackle disc three in the shaw uh shaw bra box set um this is lies and deceit five films by claude in here and uh like i said um the last week i watched the the first two the cop the inspector larzarjan and the uh the first one cop uh what is it uh cop on vin so this time um i watched madame bovary and this is another period piece, so it kind of goes well with Frankenstein from Arrow Films. Um, this movie was made in 1990, and the first thing I, I noticed was how gorgeous this movie looked. This is based off a novel that's very popular. The term Madame Bovary kind of uh, basically became something of a, a, a term for somebody that cheats. It's a little bit more complicated than that from my understanding. But uh, yeah, this one, it, it, it follows the life of this woman, Madame Bovary. At first, she's kind of this very quiet, um, very gorgeous, very sweet person that lives on this farm with her father. The mother has passed away, so she lives this kind of quiet, peaceful life. Um, the father breaks his leg one day, and there's a doctor that comes in and helps, uh, you know, set the leg and everything like that. And the doctor and Madame Bovary, not yet Madame Bovary, of course, spots the doctor, and they start a relationship. The doctor asks... Um, her to marry, uh, ask the permission for marriage, and they get married. And after that, like the movie runs about two hours and twenty-four minutes, so it's kind of like this. This I don't want to say epic, just because it's long and it's not like this scaling epic of giant proportions, but it's kind of like melodramatic. But it scales somebody's entire life, and there's a lot of you know kind of like emotional stuff going on too. So uh, essentially, at first she seems kind of relatively happy in the marriage, but 
right, like, not even at first, it's pretty quick after she's married, this kind of depression sets in, this kind of loneliness, this kind of longing for more, and nothing really excites her. It's just kind of like a, a, a gloomy dread over the entire picture, and the, the movie looks like gloomy. It's shot very beautifully, but it feels like there's like a kind of dampness over the entire film, like a damp, kind of like a dewy kind of feeling on the, gra the grass, like a foggy, hazy kind of feeling just over everything in the movie, and I'm not saying that like it's an unclear picture or anything like that but that's just kind of the impression that the movie gets but we have this narration that pops in that kind of explains her mindset occasionally and all those kind of things so uh, being bored with her life she's bored with her husband who's a doctor um and he, honestly throughout the entire movie he's a little oblivious to her um he understands her she's sad but it's like it's so hard to like relate to her because at the same time you you would understand that that life would be kind of a boring miserable existence of nothing and but there's so many people that have it worse but it's just kind of like in life in general and and in her situation it's kind of it's just a a, a very depressing place to be so she she has luxury but it just doesn't seem to fulfill her um so she starts kind of like uh almost trying to have an affair with this young man an actor who actually appears in the first film in this box set and uh they have like kind of a heartfelt thing but he ends up moving and she's devastated but she kind of has like these these kind of like different feelings where she goes back and forth where you know she's kind of out of love with her husband and in love with her husband she becomes obsessed with this kind of luxury life of wearing dresses and going to these like different places she's always a person trying to find herself and and she just never truly can find herself and make herself happy and it, and like although she's doing these kind of things that are obviously not fit for the time and not really fit for nowadays you know cheating on your spouse and stuff like that but you never really grow to hate her you kind of just have these things with her. There's a lot of other side characters, of course, the husband, and there's this guy with a, a club foot, which it, it leads to this kind of uh, awful kind of statement about, you know, people trying to be like, be scientists that be like these super doctors that get glorified in this recognition, but they do things that are really not on the up and up. And there's also a chemist that is the doctor's best friend, the family friend, and he's throughout the entire picture. And he's, he's a really good, strong character. But uh, yeah, she ends up having these couple affairs and these life's of luxury and of course this one ends in tragedy as it would and it gets even more tragic when you figure out what happened to the entire family as far as acting is concerned it's a really well acted film it's very depressing very gloomy and uh yeah it's an interesting one too i had never actually seen an adaptation of this story but uh, as far as the special features are concerned we have a brand new 4k restoration uh original lossless french pcm mono audio and then we have brand new audio commentary by film critic Kat Ellinger, Imagining Emma, Madame Bovary on screen, a brand new visual essay by film historian Pamela Hutchinson, archival introduction by film scholar Joel Magny, select scene commentaries by uh, Shaw Charbrow, which, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed this one quite a bit. Um, like I said, visually, it also uh, looks great and the different locations. But again, it, the whole movie has like a, a, a lingering kind of gloomy feel to it and i think it fits for this one for sure so next week we'll dive into the next film in this box that lies in deceit okay the next one is from uh on earth films and this is 2ldk and this was originally released by the uh danger after dark if i'm not mistaken i remember uh yeah this one i had actually never seen it was made in like 2003 and i always have to look at the the cover here 2ldk because you always want to be like 2dlk but it's 2ldk so yeah on Earth really doesn't disappoint, especially when they kind of tackle like releases made like not like contemporary movies. Their older releases are always just 
something that interests me or, or really cool stuff. And a lot of their new stuff I really gravitate towards as well. But 2LDK is an Asian uh, Japanese film. And uh, yeah, this is a, this is a wild movie. So it's basically like two roommates from hell. Um, so I don't think I'm going to be able to give this movie the justice it deserves. And, and the, though this would kind of require a scene by scene of how it unfolds to get the kind of detail and psychological shit that's going on here. So if that tells you anything. So we have this kind of these two actresses that are both up for a role. They're complete polar opposites in a lot of ways. Uh, in a way, they complement each other. If anybody's seen the ending, Nick kind of little thing right there so one of them is, is quiet uh she comes from a small town kind of like a uh you know a more rural area and throughout her life she was always kind of like oh you're you're very smart you're very good at the arts so she wanted to kind of go into uh acting and, and be an actress and everything like that on the other hand we have this very pretty girl who's very flashy with her her clothes and her perfume and all this kind of stuff she's a little bit more careless uh the other one's very anal retentive so they're basically opposites there um, one has been in like lower budget horror films early on in her career and stuff. And so basically they're up for this role. And at first they're very kind of uh, nice to each other, although they do obviously have some animosity. You can hear this in their inner monologues. They'll be talking and then all of a sudden you'll hear somebody, you know, one of them say something uh, within their head. And they're just, you. It's, it's a really great way to see what they're actually thinking, although they're not actually saying it to each other. And they're both staying at this gorgeous apartment that's basically being paid for, I believe, by the producers or something like the production. And it's just gorgeous. It's got this fountain and their two rooms. It's just a really unique, cool setup. Very visually appealing, to be honest. So over time, it starts to escalate until about the 40-minute mark. This movie, I'm going to get the time on here. So it is, I think it's an, at 70 minutes. So literally, about the 40-minute mark is when shit hits the fan and it turns violent. Um, they they get great on each other's nerves. You get into their psycho psychological state where you can see that a lot of them have some regrets, including uh, some horrible visions of somebody in a bathtub. And uh, before long, it just like they're beating the shit out of each other with really odd items around the house, including sword katanas and all that kind of stuff. And it, it's darkly humorous. Uh, the stuff they say to each other, the way that the violence unfolds, and uh, it's just a lot. It's built up perfectly, but at times you're on one person's side and then you're on the other person's side because how cruel one will be but everything's set up really well and uh yeah at points you think that they're gonna make up but it doesn't really unfold that way and it ends kind of how you expect it to end i will say that like you down to the the phone call at the end you're like well i seen that coming a mile away but i guess that's not really the fun in it you know you don't need the, the not every movie has to have this beat like this twist but it, it kind of does put some statements on you know how kind of like this acting competition could be unhealthy for people and how petty a lot of times can be in competition and stuff so anyways it's, it's really entertaining film i thought it looked really great and sounded great the apartment is amazing um it's violent it's funny it's insane it's just the stuff i kind of live for um but yeah as far as the special features are concerned we have commentary with uh mano nonami and iko kokiki i believe these are the two leads of the film and it is subtitled and then making of 2LDK, Tokyo International Fantastic Film Festival interviews, premiere screening interviews, dual production briefing, video message for theater audience screening at Kudan Kaikan interviews, and photo gallery and trailers. So yeah, anyways, very happy, very impressed with this one. And uh, uh, yeah, so just check this one out. I really would recommend it. It's a lot of a dark slice of Japanese comedy insanity. Um, like it quite a bit. Very fun.
Okay, the next one up is from MVD, uh, is it the Marquee Collection? And this is Brian Loves You. And this title was one of the ones that I remember being put out by Anchor Bay, kind of like towards the end when they were putting a lot of more contemporary stuff out, probably in the early 2005, 2006, that kind of time. And uh, I never did check this one out. Now, you can look at the case and you just see it riddled with a lot of, like, you know, genre character actors. George Went, Tiffany Shepis, Daniel Roebuck, uh, Tony Todd. Also, Brink Stevens is in here. And I know there's probably some more Lloyd Kaufman, of course. So, yeah. Anyways, the main star of the movie is also the director. They didn't really do anything else. So, like, I don't want to say that's always a negative or anything like that. But um, it, it's kind of like a lot to put on a person's shoulders, right? Their first film. And uh, it's just the time, like I said, they still do it now. But during this time, I noticed a lot of kind of like... Back in the day, you'd have maybe a couple character actors pop up in your movies. Back in the like, 60s and 70s, 80s. And I guess it was more prolific than people like to think. But in the early two th to like 2000s, it felt like there was like a big convention circuit of people being in movies and everything like that. So, like I said, I like a lot of the actors in here and uh, Daniel Roebuck and George Went and Tiffany Sheffers never really do a bad job I would say but uh, so this one what I would say about it is the story is very intriguing the setup is very cool and unique we have a psychiatrist that lives in a, a small I don't know what size town it is in Arizona and uh he starts to notice that there's a lot of strange, like, kind of people around. They all are in their own religion, and they say Brian loves you. They worship Brian, who was basically murdered as a young, a young man, as a kid, and uh, by somebody they consider a devil. I don't remember the devil character's name or the devil entity or whatever they call him. But uh, so they so they worship Brian like kind of like, a, you know, this weird it's not a Christian sect. Obviously, they have their own religious beliefs, but it just seems to be a, him and a, a few of his friends that are kind of intrigued by this whole situation. And uh, before long, uh, his friends start to disappear and it gets to be like almost like a body snatchers kind of situation where people are being brainwashed. He ends up being committed to a hospital, even though he's a psychiatrist himself. And, uh, yes, and everybody around him seems to be into this cult. And that's kind of the setup of the movie. I like that idea where, you know, what if a cult took over the country? And a movie, End of the Line, a Canadian movie, is kind of in the same vein, which I, I absolutely love that film. I think it's a really underrated flick, End of the Line. But uh, the concept is really good. It's a found, I don't want to say found footage, it's just a style. Like, I don't, I don't, Tony Todd introduces and ends the movie, and he's got some strange things to say. So I don't know if you consider this exactly found footage or not or anything like that but um it does have the kind of weird cameras and there's a lot of different like footage from just not just his camera because everybody in this point has a camcorder but it has like you know security footage and all that stuff mixed in to make the edit um as far as like the genre actors are concerned most of them do a solid job you know some of them are, are a little better than others like i said george went tiffany Shepes, and um who else uh danny Orlbuck really never do a bad job although they don't have that much to do either tiffany Shepes has a little bit more than a lot the lead guy, he also like directed it, and um, his character is not actually the most appealing kind of character or anything like that. Um, but his situation that he's in, it, it just kind of sets up for things. And it, it's also kind of jarring, the way it's filmed, the way it's edited, the way the story unfolds. Like, you get the glimpse of what it is, but it's just a little jarring how it unfolds and, and can kind of be, like, uh, a little hard to kind of uh, find your footing to pay attention to the entire thing. Um, the, the one thing that I really disliked about this movie was the very ending. Um, the character does something so stupid that it almost, you just want to, 
you just want to like why did i waste my time with it i just have a hard time buying that the character would do something like that and it just kind of is aggravating to a certain point to be honest um there is a side character in here that's in the institution with them that's really full of energy and kind of kooky and i thought that character was really fun as well um so yeah this movie is definitely kind of a mind screw and there's a lot of weird stuff going on but I'm not sure exactly how I really felt about it, to be honest. Um, there are some special features on here. New 2022 audio commentary with writer, producer, director Seth Landau. Um, 2008 commentary. Uh, and then we have um, a bunch of people on that. Um, here we go. New interview with George Went. New interview with Tiffany Shepis. New interview with Daniel Roebuck. A new interview will start, interview with Star Brink Stevens. So it's got quite a bit on here. Um, so if you're a fan of it, like I don't think this movie really got much appreciation. This is going to be one that I think a lot of people will really dislike. I wasn't too big of a fan of it, to be honest. But there's a lot of interesting concepts going on. And I think that a couple people will really connect with it. And I think that they could really enjoy this one. And maybe another view will change my mind. Um, like I said, it has a lot of interesting stuff about it. I like the idea of kind of like the world being completely manipulated by a giant cult or a whole city. Because, I mean, there's groups of people and not everybody that's manipulated by a cult is just an idiot. It's kind of strange how that works, you know what I mean? Uh, it, it's, it's it's a lot of different people that would be manipulated by a cult that you would not expect. So, yeah. Um, anyways, uh, if it sounds like a step your alley, check it out. It is uh, Brian Loves You. Okay. You guys better get your pervert cards out because you're definitely going to need it for this one. <laughs> All right. This is Sexy Battle Girls, but it has a bunch of alternative names. Um, yeah. And, and like a lot of these Japanese kind of pinky or pink Inga films have. So I want to read this to the back here. Just this part right here. Director Montosuga Watabe's Sexy Battle Girls is a hilarious pink parody of the classic Japanese TV show Yo-Yo Girl Cop, uh, Sunban Deka. That you won't want to miss. So apparently this television show. There was three uh, television renditions of it. Three series. There's been a few movies too. There's one made in the early 2000s. And then there was a couple ones before that I think. Which I actually. Media Blasters or, or Tokyo uh, Shock put them out. Or was it Guilty Pleasures? Regardless I know that I have copies of them. Never got a chance to watch them. So <laughs> this is such a weird movie. Um, it opens up in the very beginning where we have this young girl and she's kind of having sex with what appears to be maybe an instructor. Kind of really kind of iffy situation here for sure. But uh, she has this strange chastity belt on and when it comes off they start to have sex and we hear a chomp. And she goes back to her father and her father tells her that that man's your, uh, he, his, his unit is never going to work again. Because you've trained, you've been trained for years to get revenge on these people that did your family wrong, dishonor and everything like that. And she has apparently a super chomp vagina. So that's kind of her power. She has this chomp vagina, which I immediately thought of teeth, you know, uh, if anybody's seen teeth. Um, and I was kind of like excited to see this movie carry on with a with a person with the chomp vagina and use that against her enemies and everything like that. So I was a little disappointed to find out that there isn't that much chomp vagina action going on. And I'm going to see how many times I can say chomp vagina in one single review. But uh, she ends up kind of going, infiltrating this school. And uh, the the headmaster is the guy she's after. We kind of get some backstory on him, how he relates to her mother and how he relates to her father and all that stuff. And over time, you know, there's, of course, some sex scenes and all that kind of stuff. Sexy time in these movies as many times as they can get in there. Um, 
but the action is not as fun as I would have liked it to be. Um, like I said, I would like to see more chop stuff. It, it's really kind of not as explicit in that kind of thing as you would think, but um, implied, and it doesn't happen as much as I would like it to happen. Although, when it does, it's fairly funny. Just the idea of it's ridiculous enough. And instead of having the yo-yo, which is what Yo-Yo Girl uses as her weapon from the television show that this is parodying, she uses this weird ball thing that uh, ends up having like some, it's a, like a vibrator dildo ball, um, which kind of launches into people and causes them to orgasm uncontrollably. Her, or the villain she fights and everything like that. It, it's a really ridiculous movie. It's fairly short, um, but it does get a little repetitive, and it doesn't really explore the stuff that you really kind of want to see. It's fun, I guess, but it could be a lot more fun. And it's not a, quite as sleazy to cover the the lack of fun. So nor is it sleazy nor fun enough to really uh, win me over. Uh, but to, but the idea that it's a parody of something that I'm not that familiar with only on just basically the smallest terms of, of knowing it exists and seeing the cover art and stuff like that. So maybe I'm missing a little bit for sure. Um, but Sexy Battle Girls, it is the weirdest um, revenge high school movie I've seen with a woman with a vagina attacking. Actually, it's a second after teeth i would say teeth a little weirder and i guess teeth could be a revenge story as well but uh the pink inga release does have a few special features um so it has the international trailers and it has trivia yeah so not too much cast and crew biographies and filmographies so a lot of the old releases you know uh sometimes they would just have that kind of the bare minimum as far as special features are concerned but uh yeah this sounds like it's up your alley sexy battle girls then check it out has uh, quite a few AKA names, but it was an official selection of 2009 San Francisco Independent Film uh, Festival. So yeah, okay. This next one is the Patreon pick, and this is Eau Claire. She said a Disney movie I've never seen. So uh, I was sitting over there looking at my uh, Disney Club exclusives, and I saw oh the Black Hole sitting over there. I'd never seen the Black Hole. I knew the cast was amazing, so I was like, let's just do the Black Hole. So I guess the story uh, that I heard is Disney passed on Star Wars back in the day. They were unhappy with that choice, obviously, so they went out to try to make their own space kind of Star Wars-style movie. Now, there's a lot of these kind of sci-fi Star Wars-inspired movies coming out of the time. We have Battle Beyond the Stars. You have, what, um... The, the one uh, with the kid in the video, Last Starfighter. So we have a lot of these kind of things. This is 1978. And listen to the cast of this movie and tell me it's it's not insane. Maximilian Schill, Anthony Perkins, Robert Foster, Joseph Bottoms, Yvette, uh, I always say, I have a trouble saying her name, but you'd recognize her, Ernest Borgnine, and voices of Slim Pickens and Roddy McDowell, who are not on here. So uh, those are actually voice robots. We have, what is the Vincent and Bob. They're these kind of R2-D2 slash c C-3PO mixes where they're as smart as our uh, C-3PO, but they look like a little bit more like R2-D2 except cheaper, which is Disney. So I guess Disney didn't always used to have all the money they did, okay guys? They didn't always used to have all the money they did. So essentially what we have here is this, uh, this, this space crew. I don't know necessarily what their jobs are. There's some scientists on board, a captain and stuff like that. Um, and they get this distress signal um, from the ship. And uh, they're not sure what's going on. Uh, it's right by a black hole. They decide to go over to the ship. 
and uh, investigate and everything like that. It's kind of like an alien situation, if I'm not kind of mistaking. Although, I think this was made before Alien, which is crazy. But hey, Planet of the Vampires is the same situation. So, distress signal in space, or maybe it's not even that. They just want to investigate. So, they go here. Um, they are kind of like, see all these kind of strange people working on the ship. They're very uh, non-responsive and everything like that. And then they kind of are brought to this person who, the captain, who actually appears to be the only live person on the ship. Everything else is robots. Um, and it's Maximilian Schiff who is very bizarre and uh, he's obsessed with the black hole he wants to stay there he's the only remaining member of the crew who didn't turn the ship in and everything kind of think silent running or something like that with uh, Bruce Dern except he's even weirder than Bruce Dern and silent running so uh, at first a lot of them are suspicious but they really don't want to put forth the effort and time to figure out what the hell's going on they just kind of want to get their ship uh, passed together because something happened and get the hell out of there as fast as possible all the characters you know they have like their their own personalities of course uh, Anthony Perkins is a scientist who starts to kind of have like a relationship like a friendly relationship with Maximilian Schill and he's interested in the scientific discoveries and the black hole and of course Schill ha Schill has this crazy idea about making it through the black hole and everything like that putting everyone's life in danger um robert foster is a good captain you know he's a, i guess he's a good hod solo kind of style replacement here borg nine is more of a, a money grubbing kind of guy but i love borg nine and everything like that and uh really the funny thing is you have this great cast in here and everything like that but who steals the fucking show is Vincent, voiced by Roddy McDowell. He's like this quick-witted robot who knows something's wrong right off the cuff. And he finds this older repair robot on the ship, played by Slim Pickens and Bob. And they start a friendship, of course, and there's all these like thuggish, kind of like brutish robots on the ship that are just made by a shell and they're not as good as the old old school robots so eventually what happens is vincent and bob end up kind of like uh almost saving the day in a lot of ways like letting the crew know what the hell is going on and you start to learn some real ghastly stuff about shell and the people on the ship the robots and everything like that and there's a couple reveals that are actually pretty scary for a disney movie like one of the mask of the the robots comes off and what's underneath is actually like whoa whoa um uh, the main baddie robot, he looks pretty cheap, but also adorable. He's like a cheap version of Nimrod from the X-Men, but he floats. He's like, it's really cheap, but kind of endearing. Uh, so, yeah, of course, there's going to be some decent action in here, and uh, people do die. A lot of people die. A lot of characters you kind of like, or are at least invested in to a certain point, die. Um, and it gets the ending. The ending is so freaking bonkers that I was like, Disney, man. Disney was so weird. Their live-action movies were weird. Like, Watcher in the Woods, Something Wicked This Way Comes, Black Hole. Every live-action Disney movie I've watched from, like, the 70s or 80s has been, like, head-scratchingly weird. And just... Oh, like, the endings are always like, what in the hell is going on? Except Something Wicked This Way Comes. It's based off of a book. But still, they're just so weird. Like, and this ending is like a fever dream. It's just like something like out of Beneath Planet of the Apes or something, the ending of the last 20 minutes of this movie. You're like, what the fuck is this? Um, but I did enjoy it. <laughs> like I said, bizarre, weird, solid cast. Uh, it's very talky in the very first 20, 30 minutes. You're like, there's a whole lot of talking and nothing happening. But there is kind of setups and everything like that. I, I would recommend it. Um, I, I think it's pretty entertaining but for some reason when I read Joseph uh, Bottoms I wasn't thinking one of the Bottoms brothers you know Sam, Timothy, Joseph there's three Bottoms brothers I was thinking Joseph Cotton so I was waiting for like a reveal of Joseph Cotton in the movie somewhere I don't know why I thought that and then I was like wait a minute that young guy's one of the Bottoms brothers I was like Joseph Bottoms I was like I was expecting to see Joseph Cotton in this movie and then he's not 
and I was just confused for a minute. I don't, this is old man, like, complaining here. But anyways, it's an entertaining movie. Um, some of the sets are cool, but, like, as a cash-in on Star Wars, you're like, it's fucking cheap. You're gonna be a little bit better than that Disney, so they just eventually bought Star Wars, so they got it anyways. Uh, yeah, Black Hole. Okay, guys, now it's time to hop into those 1994 movies. Prison officials say Dahmer's head may have been bashed against a wall. They have last-minute appeals failed to stop the execution of America's most notorious mass murderer, John Wayne Gacy. Throughout, Chikatilo presented himself as a wretched victim of nature's indifference. Satan approves. Reality! What do you know about reality? story. This is not reality. Not reality. Not reality. This is reality. The delusion of a disordered mind, a phantom, a spirit, a ghost. Look, he hasn't got any relatives, and the coma he's in is irreversible. Give me a signature and I'll pull the plug now. Fuck off. Okay, the first up is the Regenerated Man, and uh, this is a uh, this is from Elite Pictures years back. Uh, old, I actually reviewed this probably like whenever this disc came out in 2011. I probably reviewed this freaking thing. So here we go. The Regenerated Man is by uh, Ted Ted who Ted Biogas or Ted. Uh, he was actually a writer on stuff like. Um, the Deadly Spawn, which I absolutely love, or he worked producing behind the scenes something, writing or producing on Deadly Spawn, which I love. So the Regenerated Man. It had been a long time since I watched this movie. So essentially, this is about uh, you know a scientist who's working on this new serum. I can't necessarily think exactly. Oh, they're trying to regrow limbs and stuff like that. He's he's a workaholic. He's obsessed with his job. Uh, you know, he has a girlfriend that also works there, another fellow scientist. Um, so one day he injects himself with the serum when he shouldn't, um, and then later on this group of thugs breaks in and they make him drink all this. They mix all these chemicals together and give him the dark man treatment. They kind of like fuck him up in the lab. You know, they make him drink this stuff. And, uh, what happens is he ends up turning into the regenerated man. That's the creature on the front cover here. He's like a, a lumpy kind of Freddy Krueger thing. And he kills the baddies. He wakes up. He doesn't remember a freaking thing. Think werewolf or something like that. Um, there's a police investigator who's on to the scene and everything. And then at night, all of a sudden people, you know, bad guys are starting to be killed and everything like that. Um, the major complaint about the movie is it's obviously a low-budget affair, so that's fine. But there is just scenes where, or, I'm like, I know, don't know if they had to hit like an 85 or 90-minute running time here, but literally, like, there's scenes of him sitting at a computer, da- like a lab, working, like, and there's no cuts, there's no coverage, there's no close-ups, and there's nothing happening except him, like, 
Maybe like if I set up a camera here for a part of a movie and like I left it right in the middle of the aisle and all you guys saw me doing was like taking movies and, and sorting them for like five minutes. Like, you know, like this is a little fucking long here. And it also happens with a couple of homeless guys that have, of course, found like the uh, the elixir shit in the garbage for some reason. And uh, you know what? I'm just going to fucking drink it just because that's every homeless guy in every movie is just going to drink shit out of a vial. Think it happens in uh, Premudos, <laughs> the Olaf Hiddenbach movie. Like, I'll just drink this. Except his head explodes. Of course, you know, the homeless guy is going to turn into a regenerated man. So that happens as well. But when he's the regenerated man he looks exactly the same as the other regenerated man so like obviously when you turn into regenerated man you don't have any change of appearance you just look exactly the same because obviously this was a low budget picture and we had to use the same mask same outfit all that that's fine that's these are just like overly like but these are things small little things they're not even small they're big things in a small budget movie that it could be considered nitpicking when you're talking about a budget of so uh, so low right but I'm just saying I, I did notice them they were kind of like okay uh, but so I pointed out anyways there's some CGI at the very end of the movie that I did not forget I remember being very dated and it's probably the most expensive thing in the freaking movie too at the time but it did not age very well um some of the special effects are really cool, like the regenerated male will grow these nails out and he'll shoot them at people and stuff. That's fun. Um, and like the him killing criminals in the middle of the night is also kind of like a la RoboCop, stuff like that. That's cool. Um, Debbie Rashawn is in here, and there's a nude scene. It's not, it's an unpleasant nude scene. It's an almost like attempted rape in here, but she is in here and is a nude scene. It's got to be one of her early roles, I would say, 94. Um, always enjoy seeing Debbie Rashawn. Uh, yeah, so I don't really know too much to say about this one. Um, it's not necessarily the greatest film ever made. Um, it is longer than 82 minutes. It says 82, but I feel like it's more like maybe 90. I don't know. But I remember it being like you could have cut a lot of these scenes and edited around this to make it pacing a little better but back in the day you had to hit a certain runtime. as far as special features are concerned we have a trailer still gallery making up featurette behind the scenes and commentary um there's a really funny opening uh on the, the making of where he just basically says any uh something about better ways to spend your money and shit um yeah it's just a decent little low budget uh science fiction horror flick uh with some cool special effects some not so cool special effects a little bit uh minimal coverage but yeah you know a fairly likable lead too and his, his girlfriend i like her too and uh yeah, so this is The Regenerated Man. Uh, check it out if it sounds like it's up your alley. Not the worst you could do for 94. Okay, uh, the next one up is one I already covered on the show as well from SRS Cinema. This is uh, the Blu-ray uh, release of Hugh Gallagher's Goror. And uh, yeah, I always love that title. This is like a movie that I always saw in books and everything. I was like, Gorhor. What's Gorhor? And the old tagline was, there's no safe sex with her. So, uh, yeah, this is a weird kind of... These Hugh Gallagher made this trilogy of, like, these gore trilogy. It was like Gorgasm, uh, Gorotica, and Gorhor. And he also made another one called Dead Silence that was made before. Kind of thought to be lost for a long time. But these uh, the, his gore trilogy is pretty cool. They're they're kind of infamous in the SOV world. A lot of people know them. The, the tapes are well sought after. But uh, yeah, so this is a second time watch for me on this one, and I kind of love the lead in this. I love her look. I love her kind of charisma on screen. It's just a she's a very bizarre character. So essentially, a private eye is hired by this uh, this dickhead. I'll call him a dickhead because he's a jerk, and he hires his private eye to kind of follow around this this prostitute who has something at his. He says, "Bring back what she stole from me and the the notes and everything like that." And here's ten grand. There'll be another ten for you afterwards. So this guy says, "Okay." He goes for it. He starts falling around. And it's really weird and twisted what he finds out. Finds out that this woman is uh, a prostitute, of course. Um, but not only that, is she's dead. She is a zombie prostitute. And what she is doing is uh, she needs blood. 
and she needs this reagent that she has or whatever you call it uh that she has a serum that this doctor gave her because he wanted to make her you know his gore whore in quotations there uh movies words movies words <laughs> but so uh anyways yeah but there's some really cool stuff in here. The way she uh, uses the serum is uh, with a dildo, which I love. Um, she kills a lot of, like, she, like, will sleep with the job and, like, kill him before she has sex and all that kind of stuff. Um, there's a lot of nudity in the movie, which I, I find cool. There's a lot of, like, weird cemetery scenes, which I find cool. She raises zombies from the dead to help her, which I like. Um, and, yeah, it's just a really kind of, like, gnarly, kind of gory, sleazy SOV movie that I enjoy. Um, it's it's short. Um, the sound is really kind of not great. So like at times you're like, what do they say? I can't, I can't, it's not great sound. Okay. It's hard to hear. A lot of the stuff is outside. Um, and it's SOV. So the picture quality is not like going to knock your socks off. Okay. I don't know how much better it can get than that, but, uh, it is kind of a fun movie with some cool effects, you know, people's heads get knocked off and shit like that. Uh, of course, severed dicks, people's got, you gotta have a severed dick in your SOV movie. I don't even know. I don't even know what you're doing if you're not cutting off somebody's dick. Um, but <laughs> You get the point, right? Um, and I do like, kind of like the, ma the 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 female lead. I like how she, she's got a good look about her. Um, and she's got some one-liners in here. If I if I'm not if I'm remembering correctly, that I enjoyed. Anyways, it's a weird ass movie. Um, it's a weird ass zombie movie. And I always dig those. See Shatter Dead from 94 as well, which is a weird-ass zombie movie that I always liked. Also from the same year, also SOV. Uh, yeah, so kind of in the same wheelhouse, although one is very little bit more serious and this one's a little bit more kind of punk rock um even though i would say shattered dead is punk rock too but in the the more serious kind of way um i would say that it has like you know a lot of stuff to say well this one may but it's, it's just like totally loud and in your face in, in, in a lot of ways so yeah gore whore check it out uh there is a dvd release from srs all three of them got put on dvd all three got put on limited blu-ray if it sounds like it's up your alley check it out uh yeah i enjoy it but i'm also crazy so yeah okay the next two from 94 i do not own copies of but this one is 1994's moon child by todd sheets and if this ever gets released i will i'll pick up a copy for sure because i could not find it anywhere to watch i think there's a vhs release and that's about it anything else has been a bootleg floating around but Moonchild, this is, uh, you know, the first of two werewolf movies, if I'm not mistaken, that Todd Sheets did in his life. He did Bone Hill Road, which came out much recently, actually, in the past, past five, six years or so. So uh, Moonchild, right when I put this in, I was like, oh, shit, this is less of a werewolf movie and most mostly a post-apocalyptic movie. And it fits really in the vein with something like Joe Diamato's Endgame. It's, it's kind of a lot like that. So in this world, we have this organization that kidnaps people and, and like, fight, takes this resistance and it does experiments on them. It's trying to make these hybrids of like part animal part man so it has like all these weird people that they'll kidnap or work on for the agency and and make them like kind of monsters or mutants and all that kind of shit so the main character is this guy who escaped from the lab from, and they're going to send these like these special like kind of assassins or trackers after them that all have their own kind of special powers too uh, or specialties and this guy doesn't know but he has been infected not infected but he has this power to turn into like kind of a werewolf when he gets really upset so yeah anyways he kind of befriends a small group of people that are trying to fight to survive and it's up to them to survive rescue this wolfman's son because he has the same powers and kind of stop the evil kind of faction or whatever so like the tracking them down immediately reminded me of you know of course endgame which is that story where al cliver's running away and he has like these these kind of high-tech goons after him and everything like that eastman and bobby Rhodes and that um, but uh, uh, this one is low budget. Like I'll say that it's low budget. The acting is it's it, 
it's pretty patchy to be honest and that could be due to the dialogue due to the sound elements all that kind of stuff plays a factor into that but Todd Sheets has always been ambitious so Todd Sheets has a large cast he tries stunts you know like big stunts you know people I saw complaining about like they're like that that truck was going like 10 miles an hour it's like bro this is a low budget movie they're under a fucking underpass trying to do truck vehicle stunts I know people say don't work out of what you can do, but the idea that he's even attempting to do vehicle stunts in a in a movie that probably costs five, six grand is impressive as hell to me. Okay, so I'd rather have cheap looking stunts than no stunts. Okay? I know, I know, I know that's like weird to say, but I was like, oh shit, they're actually doing car chases and stuff and people jumping from like trucks. Like, I'm not doing that shit in any movie anymore i'm not doing that so you got to give them props for that some of the fight scenes of course the fight scenes don't look great some of them are okay some are better than others some of them obviously have some martial arts training or some fight choreography others don't like especially the first fight you see in the pit like it's just kind of the guy in the mask like yeah and he's just like he's just not moving around very well probably because he's wearing a bunch of leather and he's wearing a mask if anybody's had to try to act in that shit you know it's not very easy to move in that kind of stuff and have uh realistic fight scenes especially when you have minimal coverage in an sob movie so let's be honest that's kind of what's going on here um but the idea that the scope is this large on a low budget movie i'm not saying this is the most excellent film ever i respected the scope for sure i respected the ambition for sure and i respected a werewolf in a post-apocalyptic world for sure although he's not in it that much the werewolf but he does kind of have some changes here and there and uh the final form of the werewolf is eh but when he's like half changed he looks pretty solid i would say there's a cool robot scene too where it comes out of nowhere he's fighting like this robot and then all of a sudden this blade comes out. i was like holy shit He's got a blade in his stomach. Think class of 1999 or something along those lines, which I've always loved. So like I said, there's a lot of cool stuff going on. It is dirt cheap. The acting is eh. Um, it can be talky at times. Um, but for the most part, I, I enjoyed my time with it as far as SOV, post-apocalyptic movies from 1994, post-apocalyptic werewolf movies are concerned. I don't, I don't know if you're ever going to find anything with all those things in it except Moonchild. So if it sounds like it's up your alley, check it out. Uh, yeah. Um, so it's, it is what it is. I, I don't hate it, but I can't like give this a wholehearted recommend unless you are an SOV enthusiast. Okay. The last one from 1994 is twin dolls. Now I had, uh, not seen this one. I had heard a little bit about it and I heard it's like an OVA, but it's more in the pornographic nature, but it has horror elements. So, um, man, this is in four parts. Each part's about like 30 minutes. It, it registered about an hour and 50 minutes total for four parts. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know how to go about this fucking movie. This is a rate fest, uh, rate fest, uh, uh big time. So essentially what we have here is these super horny evil demons that want to basically corrupt as many young girls as they can and ravage and rape them till they own their souls or some shit. So, uh, basically there's this family that, uh, there's this young boy who has lineage from the evil demons and from this like kind of holy whatever the family so he is both the demons want him because when he becomes the head of hell um when he is corrupted basically i think they'll have more power and they can finally make their ascent into like the, the earth i'm not sure 100 percent the details of how this evil demon rape shit works but that's that's my gist of it so uh the the points uh of this are like uh the demons trying to corrupt this young boy and he's like four he's probably like seven or eight but there's these like off-putting moments where like literally the villain monsters like take him around like hell and like after they capture him and he's like showing all these women being molested and i don't remember if it's like the one creature who has like these weird like tentacles that come out of his head that are all basically dicks and they're all like screwing the women and the kids like and he's like watching oh that's great and he's all excited about it and like super horny but like the the heroes of the story are these twin dolls that basically they have like, these powers and swords and shit and they come and fight the evil demons and stop them when they're together um but like they 
also get molested and raped too at times. But like one of the demons, like I said, is this weird creature with these like tentacles coming us head with these dicks and everything. And there's like a major demon god too. I think that might be the same guy. I don't know. It's really crazy. It's really weird. The subtitles didn't match up. Half the subtitles said missing dialogue. So like I said, I couldn't find this to buy anymore. It's been out of print for years. I think it was a, a Media Blasters release as well. Tried to buy it. Could not find fucking twin dolls anywhere. Um, but uh, and then like the, the second part of the story follows a different kind of demon character <laughs> and he's got these necklaces and they're basically like these sex beads and he like shoots them at people and they they go inside of them in their mouths and their and their vaginas and and like basically they just become like this super horned up like women like they can't control themselves or they're just constantly like eh. it reminded me a lot of devil man how like they had the villain of the week and they were really weird and bizarre and creepy but instead of being like unnerving and scary and and effective like devil man had these guys are just like really weird and perverted like like basically they have their own weird sex toy and they corrupt people um it's not great um it is fucking weird um it, it's gross of course you know and, but there is like a lot of on like necessary like inappropriate ass comedy especially with that young kid like because after he gets back from all that like he's like infatuated with like he's super horny so like he'll like these girls pick him up and he's riding in the jeep and like he leans back on her and he feel boobs on his on his back and he's like eh! and you're just like come on man this should have got the fucking pervert card honestly this should have got the pervert card over sexy battle girls because i think twin dolls let's do it at Get your pervert cards out for twin dolls as well. You're gonna need it for twin dolls. I like if you still got it handy from Sexy Battle Girls, you might as well go in carry it right in the twin dolls because I don't think you're you're gonna need it for this. But yeah, for an hour and fifty minutes, I did lose interest here and there. Like it wasn't keeping my attention a hundred percent. I don't really have that much to say about it. I wasn't necessarily a huge fan of twin dolls. I didn't hate it. Um, it's not my favorite anime. It's probably my least favorite one I've seen. But I'm not uh, somebody that's, you know, seen tons of them. I've seen a handful and liked all the ones I've seen. I've seen the good ones like Devilman, Akira, Guyver, um, you know, Vampire Hunter D. I've seen, like, the classics. So, like, I haven't seen any of, like, the real grungy shit yet or cheap shit or, you know, evil rape demons movies. I'm sure that's probably a subgenre everything is nowadays. But anyways, Twin Dolls from 94. I don't fucking know. All right, guys, we're here for Blind Spot. This is your pick. You picked 1986's Little Shop, Little Shop of Horse, uh, directed by Frank Oz, obviously the voice of Yoda. And Miss Piggy. And Miss Piggy. And quite a few And others. he was in American Werewolf in London. Mm -hmm. So, okay, uh, yeah, this movie's got a great cast, including Rick Moranis, uh, Vincent Gardenia, uh, John Candy has a cameo, Jim Belushi, depending on the version you watch, Paul Moody, depending on the version you watch, Steve Martin, and of course, Bill Murray. Um, and Ellen Green. Ellen Green. That's the uh, actress in here, right? What yes. else is she in? I don't know. She's she's very uh, she's very familiar. Um, well, very memorable, I should say, not familiar. Yes. Uh, yeah, so I had seen this before, and I remember enjoying it. It's been a long time. And I had seen the theatrical cut originally i never saw the director's cut i knew the director's cut was completely different but this was originally a movie made in 1960 directed by roger corman mm -hmm. and then it was made into a musical by alan Menkel and some other guy whose name i don't recall and i'm going to feel bad for not remembering it because i think he died of aids making beauty and the beast but okay. go on um, I almost said something rude. I said, that's what you get for making Beauty and the Beast, but I don't hate Beauty and the Beast, and I shouldn't make fun of a guy who died of AIDS. If, <laughs> that's just a shitty thing Who worked on his deathbed making like, Disney's first animated like Oscar film. All right. Sorry. <laughs> no, let's just rest I'm not restarting, but you get the point. Okay. So, anyways, um, A Little Shop of Horrors is the musical version of that. Yes. So. Of the Roger 
Corman. No, it's the musical version. It's This is the movie version of the musical based off the 1960 movie by Roger Corman. Yeah, this is the movie based off of the musical based off, based of, the off of the Corman movie. Okay. Yes. So essentially, this follows the story of uh, mild-natured. Mild nature, Rick Moranis. He works in a flower shop for uh, Munchkin. Is it Munchkin? What's yeah. It? Yeah. Mushkin or something like Mushkin. that. Um, he has a girl that works there, and Alan Green. He's absolutely in love with her. Mm-hmm. Um, she has an abusive boyfriend. And then one day, he spots this exotic plant that appears to have come out of nowhere. He takes it back, and he realizes quickly that he needs to feed it blood for it to live. And, uh, yeah, pretty and- much after that, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And its appetite more and more insatiable. Yes. Feed um, me Seymour. Feed me Seymour. So, I, what, what do we want to talk about here? Um, the opening of the movie. I hadn't seen this in a long time, and I mm-hmm. love the opening, the Slumtown song, Skid Row. It's one of my favorite songs in there. I think it might be actually the best. It's my second or third favorite. So, I was familiar with the stage version, yeah. um, and I'd only ever seen like bits and pieces of the movie. Like, if it was on someplace or, like, looking up clips at YouTube. Um, I love the chorus that appeared. They're the three girls. Yeah, they're um, great. And they're characters in the and they're characters That's the way the to sh- do a chorus. Right, right. I think in the they're fantastic. Movies. They pop up in the background when you least expect them. Like, suddenly you see more. They're there on the fire yeah. escape. You know, they narrate, you know, the beginning and end and a lot of, like, the feeding scenes. I think that they're utilized, like, incredibly effectively. Um... Audrey 2 is an amazing puppet. One of the best monsters, one of the best puppets. And the way we did that is they had to slow it down. It was really hard. Uh, Rick Moranis basically had to act amazingly and slow himself down to match up with the singing. Yeah. Uh, um. Like, And I got to give, I know you're not a big Brill Murray fan, but that has to be one of the greatest cameos in the history of film. And that was originally, I guess it was played by Jack Nicholson, and it was his role in the original in the, Okay. Yeah, so he had that role. But Bill Murray has this, you already know Bill Murray is a sarcastic kind of asshole guy, but he had this, he has like a dumb character too he'll play, but this manic, weird energy and his improv, mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty sure a lot of it was improv. He's like, well, I don't know why I go to her. And he just goes on and on and he's so weird. And, the, and basically, one of the major characters in the movie is Steve Martin and he's a dentist but he's a a, a, a sadist he, lo- yeah. he loves you'll be a dentist he loves giving people pain mm-hmm. so Bill Murray ends up showing up and he's a masochist and it's a really great cameo it's really uncomfortable and creepy and surprisingly it went a little far really once you it think does. about it for like a PG-13 movie yeah but not it, but as it... far as graphic violence but just the the, the, the innuendo of it I is feel. just unpleasant right. as shit exactly and it leads into you know Steve Martin's fate the dentist's fate um, you know because obviously he can't inflict pain on Bill Murray and Seymour's there to do the deed and it's like you get in the chair and you know it goes yeah. from there um, I, I, I feel like that this movie it was like almost like tailor made for me I mean it, it's a musical it's got puppets in it it's sci-fi based, it's sci-fi like 50s sci-fi killer plants it's essentially it's like, the blob that talks yeah um the, the comedy is fantastic ellen green is this like charming and ditzy and just like oh, like she's like a horrible person but not she's like not horrible she's just a pushover she's 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 weak-willed in a lot of ways but, but also she, really endearing right it, it's but it's weird though because she likes the abuse that she gets, but at the same time it kind of goes too far. 
it, it's really weird because she's like, you know, I, well, I would never have him do those terrible things to me. Or like, oh, I want him to, though, but, you know, I can't. Like, I'm a bad person. Like, you know, like, when she drops hints of her story, it's just like, oh, you're, you're kind of a freak, aren't you, Audrey? Okay. Uh, Rick Moranis is great in this movie, and it kind of <coughs> makes you, it makes you really miss Rick Moranis. It he, does. But he yeah. did, I mean, I don't blame him for quitting and living with it. That's the way to go. I mean, you see when he does go out in public, some random stranger punches him in the face for no fucking reason. Oh, that happened? That was him. Yeah, somebody didn't know, just randomly punching people, and one was Rick Moranis. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, how fucking dare you like, punch the, Rick right, Moranis? Leave all people. How could you look at Rick Moranis and be like, that looks like a guy I want to punch? Right. Like, He's like this tall. Oh, come on, <laughs> but uh, no. So like, he, he's just got a great quality about it, and he's like one of those actors that I can't think of anybody that could replace him. Mm-mm. This movie's filled with inre- unreplaceable people. Every single person in this movie is so unique. I can't think of anyone else who could have played the part. Like, can you imagine anybody playing Steve Martin or Bill Murray or John Candy's little roles or or Ellen Green or Vincent Gardenia? I really can't. I, I do know that there was at one point like talks of like making a remake, but I think it was like 2020, and so everything kind of got shelved. But I I forget the cast that they supposedly were in, in the announcement. Hear me out. For. Hear me out. Bradley Cooper as the dentist. I could see that actually, because <laughs> he's he's like charming and handsome, but also has an underlining creepiness to him. Is that that's how I think see right. Bradley Cooper? And he can, can he can sing from what I've been told. Yeah. Um. Wasn't he in that um, movie with Lady Gaga? Yeah, uh, Stars Born. Stars Born. Yeah, that's a very I, good like performance. Very good performance by him. Right. Um, no, but this movie's just amazing. Um, I, I just, I just want to keep on gushing well, at it. The Christopher Guest cameo is really funny too because yes. he basically does exactly what uh, Rick Moranis tells. Him. He's like, they put the little plant in the window and they say, "What is that?" He's like, "What is that?" Right. <laughs> it's so funny. No, the comedy uh, is perfect. Everything's well timing's timed. great. Uh, how the plant mm-hmm. convinces him, how the plant gets its first victim, and how it builds mm-hmm. up. Gardenia's great in in this movie. And I know him from Cold Turkey. Is he in the one with Cher and uh, Nicolas Cage? Is he in that one as well? The Moonstruck? Is he is he in that one? I can't remember. I've never seen it. But he's great in Cold Turkey. And he actually is in Death Wish 1 and 2. Really? Yeah, he's a cop who's chasing Bronson through the first two movies. Okay. He's really good in it. And he's a different role from these ones. Because he kind of has the Mr. Krabs thing going on in this movie. Yeah. He's kind of like the cheap boss, but he's funny. So, like, that thing. Uh and the director's cut and the theatrical cut are, are majorly different. I'm pretty sure everybody's seen Little Shop of Horrors. If they haven't, um, then we're going to spoil it. Right. Um, this was my first time watching the director's cut. and I, I The special effects at the end were amazing. Um, the song was amazing. And Ellen Green's fate was just super depressing. So, so, so I guess the theatrical cut is the good ending. Love Saves All ending. Love like Saves Brazil. All. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, but... The original ending, both to like at least the musical and you know the one that we ended up watching on this one is, you know the the plant wins, um, which you don't want it to happen, but it has to. The but way it the has story to unfolds. It, it just feels right. Because, well, because the story itself is about like falling into like the praise of capitalism. Let's be real. I mean, the opening number Skid Row is basically that how do you escape the grind you know you you serve the rich and you come home to you know poverty and you know you find this plant and you feed it your blood you feed it your life force and it in, in turn gives you money but it, it also takes everything away i mean i mean that's like the movie boiled down 
essentially to should, what it is. Should so, mention that the voice of the plan is from the Four Tops. It's, uh, it's yeah. somebody from the Four Tops. I can't think of the an, name. It's an amazing voice. Uh, it's very memorable. Feed Me Seymour became almost like a pop culture reference. If you oh, say Feed Me Seymour. Everybody knows what you're talking about. In fact, there's a nice little thing that I cut you off there. I'm sorry, I'll let you get back to it. But in the end of Scrooged, mm-hmm. when Bill Murray has his like change around in his heart, He's talking to everybody at home and the camera, and he's like having that moment. At one point, he's like, "Feed me, Seymour," and it's just oh. a nice little shout out <laughs> to uh, to um, Little Shop of Horrors. This, um, you know, going out the ending. Like, so we watched the, um, you know, the the quote unquote bad ending or the plant wins ending, um, and that like it's weird because like Audrey herself is like kind of like a ditzy character, and like her death isn't like played straight, but like. He still kind of feels something. It's really weird. Yeah, I was I was really kind of depressed and like I didn't remember <coughs> any of that either. You know, like because I didn't see it obviously. It's right, right. Um, you know, she has a line you know, like "When I die," which should be very shortly. I want you to feed me to the plant. So, so it's kind of like self sacrificing. Yeah, you know, it's it's got like black comedy beats, obviously. Um, but like the image of like of Audrey in like the white wedding gown laid in the mouth of Audrey too was like the most like it, it, it's just a beautiful image because you know she's you know kind of like in like a sleeping fetus position in the white gown and it, she's in the mouth with like all the teeth and like like the roses and the reds and purples like all the plant material like it's just like a not like I would like a poster of that or something I just really like that image you can't copyright a vegetable you can't copyright a vegetable um <laughs> Uh, yeah, the, the the alternate ending is, um, I, I guess the, the love conquers all ending or whatever. It's, it, I you can tell that it was almost like shot after. You could tell through the editing, and it was it just doesn't feel right. It feels kind of right. cheesy, and then they have a little stinger at the end. Uh, the the director's cut is the superior one, although it's more depressing of course it's it's obviously more depressing but the last song is actually my favorite on the track and of course that's missing um in the good ending and that's when the chorus comes up and they say this was the plan all along and then you get to watch like a solid five minutes of puppets destroying various cities, swallowing subways. Oh, that's in the director's. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah, you know, it's but, a kaiju movie. It is a. It becomes a kaiju movie. Um, you know, you you do miss out on that. So it's like, okay, I can feel better about myself, but you know, the 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 movie's shorter. It doesn't have like the best song. It doesn't have all the chaos and like sweet puppet action. It feels kind of forced. You know, the way it works out, like. I, I, the plant gets electrocuted like that it's, it's a not, cheap ending yeah it's not set up or anything it's just it's... like in every like horror movie at the very ending when a monster seems unstoppable and right. then all of a sudden it's something real dumb like we have to freeze it we have to electrocute it and it makes sense because this is the throwback to the 50s sci-fi right and yeah some of the stuff i don't want to like i'm not trying to dog on the blob because the blob made sense that you freeze it right i mean some of the times though it just feels like it comes out of left field You're it comes like, out of left field or it's like overkill by water it's like well they, the atmosphere is like 80 percent water like <laughs> i don't was, understand war of the worlds is like the first one that did it but it works with war of the worlds because it's like you know the first one that did it Right. Germs. Um, um, I don't know. This, this music is, or, or this show, movie, whatever it is that we're reviewing. It. I don't know. I just thought it was fantastic. Um, he's getting into the books already. I will say though that the soundtrack, um, 
the creators of the musical version that this movie's based off of, they they did a lot of the Disney Renaissance movies, like, and so when you're listening to it, I think you do hear like you hear you hear like Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Pocahontas, Hunchback of Notre Dame, like they made like the Disney powerhouses. It's kind of like when I watch a Shaw Brothers movie and I just hear the library music reused in Dawn of the Dead. In Dawn of the Dead, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's not the same <laughs> music, but you, you hear like, oh, th- these sound similar. Like, they're definitely penned by the same okay. people. Little Shop of Horrors, John Stanley's Creature Features, 1986, 3 out of 5, Corman's B-movie, and Intimate uh, Musical were turned into an uh, over-flattened horror musical following the music and storyline of the play, but much darker and crueler in depicting how a nerd falls in love with a bimbo and feeds human body parts to a man-eating talking plant. What was once a charming comedy becomes an uncomfortable experience, for the screen overemphasizes the slum area of Munchkin's floral shop and the monstrous of the monsterness of the plant. Audrey too, as it sways humans uh, with its Sevguli, Sevgali, it's got to be Sevgali, like hold. Especially on Funny are Steve Martin as a statistic dentist and Bill Murray as his masochistic patient, carrying to extremes what in the original film was a funny moment. Director Frank Oz was escaping his G-rated Muppet image. Even more of the birds had to lighten up the unpleasant trees before the film was released. You know what's funny is seeing cult <coughs> movie books not know what a cult movie is going to become a cult movie. Right. It's his opinion, though. But that's the thing. is like this movie was going to be a cult Well, film. his opinion is wrong. Um, I guess I'll read No, you're name. wrong, Colonel Sanders. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, Your Honor, you're out of order. All right. Little Shop of Horrors, comma, V. Uh, two and a half out of four stars, 1986. An elaborate, rather overblown film version of the off-Broadway musical version of a 1960 classic with Moranis as Skid Row, Flower Shop, Schnook Seymour, who develops a new breed of flesh-and-blood-devouring plant. Lots of big star cameos. Martin and Murray are hilarious as a sadistic dentist and his pain-loving patient. But Green steals it hands down as sweetie, squeaky-voiced Audrey. Enjoyable, but overloaded with too many state-of-the-art special effects and lacking a hard edge and its more good-natured inspiration, though this actually substituted a last-minute happy ending in place of the play's more downbeat conclusion. I bet he gives that movie three or three and a half if it has the director's cut. I bet it. I bet he does, because I, I do think that the director's cut... And he cut... liked the same stuff we did. James right. O'Neill, I'm going to be honest, the better taste. Well, it seems weird that like both these reviewers don't like the special effects which one's a sci-fi book i mean like that, that he didn't say anything negative about this oh, okay but i don't think so but like who says that there's too many special effects in a sci-fi right. movie that's like there's too much blood in this fucking samurai movie or something like that i don't even say that there's too much blood in this uh what is those typhoon movies that right. the japan movies put out there just gore I, I mean you're watching a science fiction movie there's too much... it, it, uh, literally about a killer plant it's going to have to have special effects you know what i mean and what do they want day of the triffids right which had like a lot of special effects. I mean, they were special, all right. They were special, but they were just stick figures. Like, right. But I mean, you, you look at Audrey and I love David the Triffids, by the way. Oh yeah, it was fan, fun, fun, fantastic movie. But I mean, you look at Audrey and like how animated he is. They have different puppets for him. You know, he changes in size so frequently. Um, I think that he might be 
one of the coolest like monsters I've seen in a very long time. And I know he has a very simple design, but he's he, a quintessential killer plant. Right. He he just translates so well both into this film and the way he looks, and I he's stunning and His beautiful at the too. same time. His Feed voice. Um, the scene where he's waving at Audrey through the window when he's on the phone. Oh, that's scary. Like it's haunting. And, and it reminds me of some of my favorite sci-fi horror movies, like Deadly Spawn, mm-hmm. which just a rose and rose of teeth. Anything with rose of teeth are scary as shit. Right. No eyes and rows of teeth it just is like these things were made to eat man right you know like yeah he lacks eyes um he he has he, like like his like final forms he's just this big like you know potted fern creature it's like he is stunning um and then he gets his own musical number which i don't actually think is in the no the musical version i think that was written specifically for the movie and is in both versions um to a degree the mean green mother from outer space um but yeah no um i think that this was a fantastic beautiful movie and i'm glad i finally got to watch it i'll give it 10 out of 10 i would give it like a 10 out of 5 honestly you can't do that i can do that you can't do that where are the rules where are the bylaws where, where's the binder of secrets that we you know prescribe Ah! to exactly look how mad he doesn't make any sense it makes sense. I mean, I give it, I award this film all the two five-star films <laughs> worth in one concentrated feature. I think you took some of those stars from The Shining. <laughs> the, 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 the Shining still owes me, you know, my two and a half hours okay, back. Okay, you know? now what am I going to give you? I'm going to give you a choice. Do I have to address the, the comments from The Shining from last week? Because I think that there were a few, and I, I don't typically comment on anything. Most of um, them, I had to delete one. I had to actually hide somebody from the... They always comment real weird and rude shit, and they uh-huh. said something so rude that I just fucking... I did a hide user, so they no one will ever <laughs> see their comments again, and I'll never see them. So, like... Was it directed at me? Yeah, it was so fucking rude that I was just like, hi, comment. And plus, the dude always says weird shit. And he's, I think he's a troll. He's on 22 Shots, oh. always saying stupid shit, too. So that guy can go fuck himself. I hope he sees this. <laughs> and he's going to try to, he'll make a new account. It'll take him like 20 minutes. And then I'll just do it in two seconds. He'll probably thumbs down the video. Oh, I don't care. He should thumbs down care. the video. That would be fun. Well, no, anyways. Just, it was ungodly rude to like say, if you were just like, I disagree, you're dumb. That's fine. But just to say rude, like personal rude shit, just go fuck off. I mean, I'll go fight him in a parking lot. I'm really That's scrappy. Like, I do have no, a lot of Shut up. You don't even know. Um, anyway, so what are my choices for next week? Hard Target Hard... by John Woo with John Claude Van Damme. I've seen that. No, you haven't. Yeah, I've seen Hard Target. No, you haven't. Yes, I have. I see, like, it? I don't know. It's, it's plays like every Van no, Damme movie. No, it doesn't. Van Damme, Van Damme, Van Damme has two different types of movies. You're peeking on the damn audio. Who are you, me? Um, uh, two, two different kinds of movies. And okay. I want you to tell me which one this is. Well, I don't know which one it is. What? what? What's the premise of Hard? I'm not Hard telling again? you. You got to tell me the premise. Is this where he infiltrates it? the fort at the end? No. Which one's that? That's one? Double Impact. Okay. Which is the fighting tournament? Is that one? That's um, Bloodsport. Blood and Kickboxer. And the Quest. What's the Lion one? That's Lionheart, also the fighting one. Also Lionheart, also the fighting one. You haven't one. seen Hard Target. How do you know I haven't seen Hard Target? Because you didn't name any of them. You named all those other good movies. Oh my god, I probably it's seen not Hard Universal Target. Soldier either. What's Universal Soldier? The one where he's a robot. And Dolph Lundgren's a robot. Oh, and I haven't seen. They're Why half robots. The robot one. They're half robots. They were made as military weapons. And See, Dolph he hides up the the, the other Dolph movie Lundgren's we're not going to watch. And like. They're in Vietnam together, and Dolph oh, Lundgren... No, no, just in the there. beginning. He gets all fucked up, and then they use him in these military experiments, and they're all, like, machines. It's pretty cool. Well, what's the other one? Hard-boiled. 
Why do they all have to have hard in them? What's hard boiled? It's a John Woo movie with Chow Young Fat. Are you doing a John Woo podcast or something? Soon? No. What's up with the John Woo picks? I don't. He does I want this to shit. Watch John Woo. No, he he gets a backlog of videos he has to watch for his review because he's too fucking lazy. He wants to watch no, a- Night of the Living Dead. 15. I bought Hard Target recently on 4K and I want to watch it. And I know you haven't seen any John Woo movies, and I want to rewatch Hard Boiled. Chow Young Fat. Uh, Anthony Wong is in the movie. Uh, wait, which one is Anthony Wong in? Hard boiled, but yeah, he's not a major character. He's a goon, but he's the main goon. <sighs> but is he like a main goon, like where he has like he's, more than like one scene? He's ch- I think he's chasing him. I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I believe the blue jean monster and Anthony Wong are chasing Chow Young Fat through like half the movie. You know, we're supposed to like recommend like fun movies. Hard boiled's like, a fucking classic. It's a hard. It, it... <laughs> no, seriously. And, and, and Hard Target is the most fun you could ever have. I, I But I want to watch the robot one. Universal Soldier? Yeah. It's not that. It's not as good as Hard Target. I, okay, well, well the, you picked the movie I think I think Roland Emmerich directed Universal Soldier. I don't know what a Roland Emmerich is. He's the one who okay, makes the movies so, where the White House blows up. Independence Day? Yeah, I think he made that, but he made more than one. There's more than one White House? All his movies. Well, he probably just like made he the model made once and contact. filmed it up in no, different I don't know angles. What he did. Um, uh, but no, I seriously, <coughs> I really like. I haven't seen Universal Soldier in a long time. I like it, but I don't want to watch it. I, I pay, gave you Hard Target or Hard Boiled. Well, which one? Which one do you want to watch? I don't know the premise for either of them, so you you got to pick. I mean, you never, I never give you a choice in force. Basically, Hard Target is surviving the game, but with John Claude Van Damme, and it's over the top. And Lance Hendrickson's a villain in it, and he's really crazy. And Sam Raimi partially directed it, as well. So it's Sam Raimi, John Woo together. You want to do Hard Target? Whichever one you think I would like more. You probably like Hard Boiled. Hard Boiled is probably the better movie. Then let's watch Hard Boiled. We'll do Hard Boiled then. You're going to pick me the worst damn movie. It's a it's a, it's a a Hong Kong action movie. There's uh-huh. lots of shooting. Do you like shooting? Not particularly. But it's like the movie where like they but have they like... But they got guns. Sh- and sh- yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's like... <laughs> do you remember in like movies where they t- always have like the pistols, like the two pistols that are shooting at each other and yeah, stuff? Yeah, like Norman Reedus. Like Boondock Saints? Yeah. Fuck Boondock Saints. No, I'm talking about fucking Hong Kong double action shooting each other. That's so cool, they'll man. They'll be like this. They'll be back to back. And then they'll turn around and be like, bah, 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 bah. like ah! Yeah, they're both Wow, they're going they're like, like, they should be dead, but they're not dead. Can you imagine that they had like three guns? That'd they only be... have two arms, Jeremy. Yeah, but like, what if they had like a third one? Or like that lady with three boobs and yeah, recall? you know, just like, or if they're like they, you know, because we're action stars, they have we're like massive hard, packs. Wa- fuck it. And so there's you ruined it. Pe- we're watching Hard Target. Why are we watching a Hard Target? No, Hard Boiled. Nope, you ruined it. Why not? Big and Hard. Wait, what's the one the shooting? Hard Boiled. We're watching Hard Boiled. Okay. Yeah, we already announced it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get into these questions, comments, concerns. Last week, I asked you your most uh, prized possession, was it? No, I asked you if you could have any prop from any movie, what would it be? So, Isimisio, am I the only one stressed out during The Shining review? Damn, Jeremy annihilated the film. I don't like all Stephen King adaptations, but The Shining is almost perfect in my eyes. Kubrick version. I remember The Cottage from years ago. It's nice to hear it talked about again. I wish I was cool enough to own original movie prop. Sad. The Maniac. Ooh, that's a tough one. I'd like to own The Puppet from the Puppet Master series. I have a soft spot for that franchise. Watching your and Jeremy's discussion about The Shining got me curious. What is your biggest pet peeve when it comes to movies? Whether it's cliche or some element that just bugs the hell out of you. For me, it's when the only thing moving the plot for 
uh, forward is the character being stupid. I understand that mistakes are made during stressful situations, but I can't stand when the only thing moving the plot forward is characters making dumb decisions after dumb decision. Thank you for another great video. Thank you. Uh, I hate that. Like, um, that movie Tailgate is 100% that. Main character just being a complete moron, unrealistically human, and just annoyed the shit out of me. So that one, for sure. Um, at the end of movies, when somebody just gets hit by a car for no reason, like, uh, like the whole movie, the character survives, and it's like, they will hit him with a car. It's like, you got to stop fucking doing that. That's enough of that. That's really dumb. Movies that take themselves 100% serious, that live in, are grounded in the real world with plot holes. Like, people never, ever can understand tone. Like, a movie that is goofy and silly like Dead Alive, it's not in the world that you would understand. Like, it's grounded semi, right? But, pay, like, the gore and the silliness and the moving, like, it has an element of playfulness and silliness and unrealistic stuff that you can kind of get behind, right? But, like, if you take a movie that's grounded in reality and then it has a bunch of stupid shit and you point it out, people are like, yeah, but you like this movie. It's like, yeah, it's Evil Dead 2, bro. It's supposed to be like that, and it sets it up right away that it's crazy. This movie's setting it up that this is real life, or it's trying to make a statement about humanity, and it's just full of shit. So over-serious movies with plot holes, I will not give any um, passes, usually. I mean, I will, but I'll also ridicule the shit out of them. Job Punk. Uh, Claude Chabra, I think it's pronounced Chabra. Okay, Claude Chabra. There we go. My tube. If it is an unstate, unusable item only for display... Uh, original Freddy's glove or the puppet on the tricycle from Deep Red before its head is broken. LOL. I think Greg Nicotero from KNBFX has the original Bruce Shark from Jaws. That is a really cool item. Michael Bay. Love the back and forth between you and Jeremy on The Shining. Great stuff. Jeremy's extreme hate for it made me uh, had me laughing my ass off. Awesome review, guys. I've been waiting for this one. Keep up the great content date. Smudge. For a movie prop, I would want the actual briefcase from Pulp Fiction with a light bulb in it. Only if it was the one actually used in filming not a replica because then it's nothing elk vomit mutant league football the genesis game that's what it, i was trying to think of something else besides pig skin football that was like that um, i was talking about the sega genesis game uh when i was talking about battlefield baseball and he said that's the that's the other game mutant league football there's also a hockey if i'm not mistaken akaba oh my god i used to watch your videos years ago on an old account i had um, I clicked this video for my recommended and was listening to it while I was working on sorting things and your voice triggered a memory. You had a video talking about bootleg VHS whore tapes that I remembered subbed. Also, where did the hair go, dude? Uh, laugh my ass off. Thank, thanks again. Uh, my hair went because I'm just, it's gray and I'm old and it's a pain in the ass. And the older you get the hair being long, it's a bigger pain in the ass, especially when it's gray. And you just look like a crazy person. Uh, I'm already a crazy person, so why, why not false advertise? Uh, David Becker, love The Shining. It is an unreliable narrator going crazy, or is it a haunted house? It's both. That said, I always thought the end shot was weak. It's just muddied the water for no reason. Inviticus and, and uh, Antithesis, even though he's being really hard on The Shining, I agree Fulci movies are way better. Zombie, Beyond, House of Cemetery are all better than The Shining, in my opinion. Now, I, a lot of people would be mad at that, but I'd rather... I love The Shining. I think it's a great movie, but I'd rather watch The Fulci myself. Barry, also known as BTK. Uh, the Shining and Jeremy's Defense, and I love Jeremy's taste in anime and randomly other entertainments he's mentioned in the past. 
I'm the same way if Michael Bay directed a movie is in, oh, it, sorry. Um, okay, here, here, he, he did a, 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 a carry on. So uh, he said, regarding You Ain't Seen, I love Jeremy's I'm Not a Petty Person speech. The Shining is one of my favorite horror movies of all time. I think people get too hung up on the movie's plot versus logic of events. I just accept the movie's version of its own universe and go along with the ride. I wish we could drop over analyzing differences from books to film and accept it's only an interpretation of the filmmakers. Um, he says, The Shining and Jeremy's defense and also Jeremy's taste in anime randomly other entertainments he's mentioned in the past i'm the same way if michael bay directed a movie is in front of me i want to run for the hills i just can't accept michael bay's movies so he thinks you know sometimes there's just certain things that some people can't get over shellac horror if i could have one movie any movie prop it'd be the walking cane from house on sorority row which is also used as the killer's main weapon i have no use for a cane but if i owned that shit i'd carry it around everywhere the review of the shining was fucking hilarious by the way thank you rb i don't get the big mystery about the shining why people have such a hard time getting it the overlook attached itself to jack because he's an alcoholic with some issues who i always thought had the shining just like his son which is probably why he's crazy to begin with i don't think the character was able to come to grips with the ability which drove him mad the hotel is drawn to danny because he has a very strong ability i think it's brilliant and it's acting shooting and creepy beautiful setting and imagery 10 out of 10 easily not hard to understand it at all to me dave do you think jeremy would have a different opinion of this movie if it wasn't a stephen king story as much as we all like to think of ourselves as unbiased we're human and really can't be totally unbiased i admit i'm guilty of this there's certain actors and directors i typically don't give a chance to no matter a buzz uh movie the matter the buzz a movie gets tom cruise for example um maybe a little bit but uh i uh jeremy did watch carrie and he really liked that um i think it's one of these things where he knows stephen king so he looks for all these things in it and he just maybe can't give it a fair shake maybe possibly but he doesn't have the history with the shining that a lot of us had just seeing it at a young age and, and kind of just knowing it's 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 place in history is when we were getting older everybody just kind of came to the shining's defense and it, it was always ever since i remember shining was considered a classic but before that it wasn't so jeremy never had that jeremy's not somebody who studies horror movies and he knows vague history of horror movies but like how influential the shining was and the ghost stories and stuff like that well like before and after it so i don't know uh maybe it's hard to say Jason Bovey, I don't think I've ever seen actual waves of frustration radiate from anyone like I saw Dave admitting during the Shining review. <laughs> and he says, you ain't seen the Shining review with Jeremy. Isn't that a sign of the biblical Armageddon? Possibly. Maybe nuclear war. Not joking. <laughs> Autumn Blood, you could try and keep pushing Jeremy to like the Shining LL, but I don't see it ever happening. He doesn't like it, and that's fine. And I'll admit I'm also not the biggest fan of the Shining either. It works for many, just not for me. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that if somebody were to tell you The Shining is not, like, well shot or something, or that would be, like, kind of like, okay, but, like, it's not liking it. It's just like, I, all right. Ken Coakley. To answer the most valuable movie in my collection, it would be like asking who is my favorite child. When it comes to collector's markets, I have a Mario Bava box set from Arrow UK. It goes on eBay for 900 which is odd because you can get all the movies individually. Also, being a Dead Trilogy fanboy, I have Dawn of the Dead Laserdisc box set that has an audio commentary that is only exclusive to the Laserdisc. I also have a German import of Dawn of the Dead in 3D as well as the Italian import of the Dawn of the Dead in 4K. It's a set with all three cuts, but only the Argento cut is in 4K. I have that as well. The transfer was supervised by Director of Drive. Uh, I also have Dawn and Day on Blue from Arrow UK that are both in the original window box packaging. Of course, I have numerous signed Blu-rays. I was also wondering if your new show will be on YouTube or your Patreon. If it's on YouTube, will it be on this channel or will it be on another channel? It's going to be on this channel. Um, it goes to Patreon first. So Patreon, I have four up right now. On uh, There'll be two by the time you see this video. So yeah, so it's going to, right when I get them edited and uploaded, they go on Patreon and then they're going to sit over a 13 week period. So the people on Patreon will be able to watch them way sooner, but it's going to be on this channel 
and it'll just keep shooting through every Sunday. There'll be a top secret top 10 for 13 weeks. As for props, an obvious one would be the Garden Troll from Night of the Living Dead, one of the SWAT uniforms from Dawn of the Dead, the fake head of Greg Nicotero that was reanimated. Another obvious would be one of the spheres from Phantasm. I took a picture with Don Coscarelli at a convention, and he had a sphere with him. He would hold the sphere in his left hand and try to make it look like it was coming at you. All the main uh, surviving cast were at the show, and they were all really cool. Maybe that can be a question. Who are the nicest and who are the meanest celebrities that you met at a convention? It's good. That's a good question. I just never want to be too negative, because like, then you just got like people talking shit about like celebrities and everything um but it is always interesting to hear that kind of stuff angela jane Nagy, almer from brain damage kayla elizabeth john hammond's cane from jurassic park or rufio peter's gold watch from hook ryan vince deluxon the bad motherfucker wall from pulp fiction qt has it rob kopinski either mcready's j and b bottle or irving wallace's owlhead Jacob B. Green, the corpse from Necromantic. What are you going to do with that corpse? Uh, Madeline Deering, the chainsaw from Sharknado. Colin Stone, Belial from Basket Case. Robert D., a baby suin from Deadline. Scott W. Davis, that came from The Wolfman. These are all really good guys. Curtis Johnson, the split dog from Return of the Living Dead. Split dog. What are we going to do? We're going to kill it. Henry Lee, Ecto-1. John Benzo Frank, penis monster from Choli and Juliet. John Devlin, uh, beat me to it. Um... And uh, apparently they're very surprised they're the first ones to say it. J.S. Scott, Regan's blood, blood-encrusted crucifix from The Exorcist. Ooh. Doc Galipsby. Um, Galipsby. Sorry. House Glass from Wizard of Oz. Uh, Hourglass. Very dry throat right now. Um, it actually pops up in later films, The Seven Faces of Dr. Lau, too. Vincent Perina, the cat from the Daria Gentus, the Cat of Nine Tales. Derek B., uh, the Ebon, the Book of Ebon from the Beyond. Great choice. J- Jason Walla- uh, Wallace, a trioxin barrel from Return of the Living Dead. A- Avon Warren, Jason, uh, that, is the, that is the one to make. Uh, that is on my list to make, he said. Derek B., also the rape worm from Galaxy of Terror. That rape worm is like the size of a, a Volkswagen bug. How, where are you going to put that, Derek? Um, Christopher Webb, the half dogs from Return of the Living Dead. Um, he also says a uh, grab boy tentacle. Nick Mua, as I work in a library, I'm becoming more interested in books. So I like uh, the diary of Father Malone from John Carpenter's The Fog or the Necronomicon from Evil Dead. The book of pure evil from Todd and the book of pure evil. Uh, questions. Would you ever read the Necronomicon? If it was like from Evil Dead or like any other Lovecraft uh, adaptation and it was real? Absolutely not. How would you reinvent the Cabin of the Woods genre? See, I don't know if I can reinvent it, right? Like, if I had a true idea to reinvent it I thought would be great, I would probably try to make it, but reinvent it. I mean, Cabin of the Woods just kind of did its own thing with that, and that was very infamous and famous and and popular. So I wouldn't say infamous, popular. Um, I do like the movie, though. See, if I were to do a Cabin in the Woods movie, now this is another idea me and Dustin talked about, like, in, in Zombievers, it's young kids. I like Zombievers. But what if it was, like, Grizzled Lumberjacks that had to fight the Zombievers? So, like, why don't we just take, like, older people out in the cabins or something? So I, I was thinking about this question today. Usually I don't get a chance to read them before. And I was thinking, I said, why don't we make it um, essentially, like, the serial killer um, or just a killer in general killed a couple people? He finds out that they're tearing down all these woods at his cabin to put like a highway through, think Deliverance or something like that. And he realizes they're going to find all his bodies and it's going to come back to bite him in the ass. So what he does is he ends up trying to go through and dig up all these bodies before they can get to him. 
And uh, essentially, he's like, there's a nearby cemetery that's not being torn up. He's going to go bury the bodies in a cemetery. He stumbles on the Necronomicon or some sort of evil book. And it brings back all his victims back to life. But they're kind of like animated talking zombies like Think Return of the Dead or Cemetery Man where they kind of can remember shit. So he's basically fighting all the people he killed. We can make it really fun and have it be like a Black Widow story where, not Black Widow, but like a guy who killed like six ex-wives. It could be like called My Seven Dead Ex-Wives. And that happens in a Tales from the Crypt episode. So we have this guy who like marries old women and then they all come back as zombies. We can elaborate that. Like he has like to kill his seven ex-wives or something. Now we're getting like Scott Pilgrim territory here. Anyways, you could do lots of weird things with it. We can just have lumberjacks fighting demons and with chainsaws and shit. So then we have which film are you looking forward to most this year? That's the sadness, the crazy Thai zombie movie. I'm loving the new segment. Long may it continue. Corey Zunk, the first Star Destroyer at the opening of Star Wars, or the wood Jack and Rose lay on in the Titanic. I wish you would have asked what original movie TV costume you'd want. Well, you could say that too. It's a prop. James Turner, the blue torpedo car from Stone Age, along with the actual prop of Ox 45 cans. Aaron Fram, a random limb from Frankenhooker. Jason Lindbergh, original King, uh, original Kong metal skeleton, saw and touched it once at a show in Butler, PA. Lacey Lou, Gail Weathers' top story microphone from Scream. Sean Donahue, the shower curtain from Psycho. Zach Puccinelli, the bear suit from The Shining. I love that. Um, and he says, non-whore, the poncho blondie war, and good, bad, and ugly. Also a great one. Lee Bishop, uh, Freddy's glove from the first Nightmare on Elm Street. Sean Freeman, the chainsaw from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, 74. Jason Fetters, Peter's gun from Dawn of the Dead. Then you could say that all the time. Ain't it a crime? The only person who missed Gun. This gun will be the second with the bread to buy. Uh, Lonier Leo. Movies from Netflix. I think there's a language barrier going there. Uh, Sebastian Shanjaro Ares. He put an alien at first predator. It's like a picture. I don't remember that. Is it like a, some sort of weapon? David Luton. I don't want very much just Michele Soave's mask from Demons, the Lament Configuration from Hellraiser, Patrick Bateman's axe from American Cycle, and Leatherface's chainsaw from TCM. That's it. Let's get right on that. Sean Freeman, Blade Sword. Uh, Michael E. Cullen 2. James Dean Switchblade from Rebel Without a Cause. I used to have a replica that someone stole. I think I want David Ass's Switchblade from House in the Edge of the Park is the one I would pick. That's Switchblade, yeah, for sure. Tony uh, Troy Haworth, Helga Ullman's table in a ba- uh, in a blazoned with the Star of David from Deep Red. I think you mentioned that in the commentary of Deep Red that that's the one prop you would want. Uh, Anthony Ross, The Emperor's Throne, Return of the Jedi. Cody H. Gearhart, The Dragon Knives from House of Wax, Twelve Five. Stephen Wandling, The Lament Configuration. Eric Whiting, The Ear from Blue Velvet. Stanley Eastman, One of the Hammers from August Underground. Matthew Hudson, The uh, Aaron, Arian from Neverending Story. A few others came close, but the Arian has to take the top slot. I don't remember what I haven't seen that movie in years. Aaron, um, Je- Jerry Vitena, OG Freddy Glove, Cody Lee Harden, the prank cl- crown from Ghoulies Go to College. That's a great one. That's a great one. Drew Marvick, Matthew McConaughey from Texas Chainsaw Massacre Four. What? Um, I don't think he was a prop. Uh, I think he was a guy. Donald Donald Farmer. Any of the space guns from Barbarella. Kyle A. Rayburn, a film-worn Michael uh, Keaton Batman suit. J.M. Del Rosa, the black Cessna from Night Flyer. I think it belongs to a guy in Columbus. Uh, Ryan Matthew Ziegler, King Kong Armature. Eric uh, Eschelberger, Puzzle Box from Hellraiser. Dustin Mills, the Samaritan, the Samaritan from Hellboy, complete with the fancy bullets. Uh, Wayne Gilbert, Rosebud Sled from Kane, Citizen Kane. Nick Weaver, John Harmon's Kane from Jurassic Park. Nicholas Box, the Amulet from Monster Squad. Jacob Davidson, the Mechanical Shark from Draws. Gabriel Sensaros, something creature-related from Pan's Labyrinth. Josh Hayes, one of the nine gate books from the ninth gate movie jason Lindbergh to strap on from the seven come on now uh marcus cook 
Uh, gynecological tools for mu <laughs> mutated women. Oh, dead ringers. And a lot of, that got a lot of uh, fucking responses. Uh, Sean Denny, who called him a perv. Sherman Hurst, the uh, intracider. Aaron Mazzola, the Necronomicon from the Evil Dead movies. Robert Mazzola, the internal sunshine from the internal sunshot of the spotless mind. Brian Pollan, the green liquid container from Prince of Darkness. David Gibson, the other day this came up when I was watching Gremlins with the kids. I want a bathroom buddy. I think that would be such a cool prop to own and is kind of out of the box. Very cool. Uh, or that fucking ashtray he has in Gremlins. Jay Wall, the rocking chair from Possession 81. I want to sit it and do my best Sam Neill freakout. Matthew Cantor, the jewel from Wishmaster. Kevin Keegan, the Zuni warrior doll from Trilogy of Terror. Michael Allen uh, Fitzgerald, the Bloodstone from Bloodstone Subspecies 2. Uh, Melanie Brooke Odom, of course, the Lament Configuration. Uh, Daryl Marsh, the ball from The Changeling. Cool. Michael B. Skidmore, original Garden Shears from The Burning. Jack Castillo, um, he says, uh, the Welcome to Camp Crystal Lake sign, uh, Estimate 1935. That's a cool one. Casey Hansen, the guitar from Slumber Party Massacre 2. That's cool, the drill guitar. Brandon Salisbury, Aliens, uh, basically the big gun that Security Weaver has in Alien just goes up against the Queen with a grenade launcher. Uh, Shane Glass, ball from Phantasm. Stephen McNulty, Attraction Cam from Eternally Dead. Tracy Allen, Jennifer Anderson's Flair from Office Space. So there we go. So this week's question, because uh, somebody was posting something on Facebook about Disc Rot. And they showed this uh, old v DVD with Disc Rot. So, and I noticed that a couple discs that I had had Disc Rot. And it only appears to be from certain companies. So basically, I want to know, like discs that I had over 20 years old. 20 year old disc. 20, 25 year old disc I have. Something like that. Yeah. Some of them had this weird disc rot, but it played perfectly fine. So I want to know, what movies, uh, do you have any disc rot on your DVDs? Not Laserdisc, I haven't all of them. But do you have any disc rot on your DVDs? And if so, what companies are the ones that have it? I noticed that a lot of the old kind of Shriek Show discs are the ones that seem to be the ones that possibly were not made up to snuff in comparison to some of the other companies out there because if you take an old like old release of something else uh like there doesn't seem to be many problems like i checked the disc they look fine but like some of those shriek show discs now i'm just wondering like maybe at one point a couple of them got stored in a weird spot i don't know i'm really kind of curious to see do any of the movies you have have disc rot or have you seen anything with disc rot and how bad did it get how many movies was it on because i've only really noticed it on a couple discs but i said they kind of all focus on the same company but then again i'm also so not going through every single movie I own every day looking at the back to like discrot, discrot, discrot. So that's the question of the week. Let's hop into this update. Okay, let's hop into this update. First up is the Phenomenon 4K from Synapse Films. I had to have this. I uh, love this movie. Uh, I love this Dario Argento crazy movie. It has all three cuts on there in 4K. That's right. Uh, all three versions. The super long one. The what are, what are the different cuts? You have the Italian version, the international, and the Creepers versions of the movie. Nice hard box here. Donald Pleasance, Jim Panzee, Jennifer Connelly, Daria Nicolodi. Another uh, 4K here. We have Hard Target with Jean-Claude Van Damme, directed by John Woo. I love this movie. It's been years since I've seen it. Lance Hendrickson as a baddie. Look at all these cheesy bad guys in the back. You got Sev Thors in there. You got uh, Arnold Vasolo. I'm sure the rest are riddled with stuntmen. Uh, anyways, yeah. Also, frickin', um, uh Wilford Brimley's in this movie. This movie I always loved as a kid. I have not watched it in a long time. Then we have a 4K of X-Ray and Schizo, or Schizoid um, from Vinegar Syndrome here. Isn't this a 4K? Yeah, it's a 4K. Yeah, these were released on DVD or Blu-ray before from, uh, um, uh, what is it, Frickin' 
Screen Factory. But yeah, also included a 10-inch disc contained both. Okay, so you get both of them. Anyways, yeah, cool. X-Ray is a pretty... Well, I've never seen Schizoid, but X-Ray is a pretty crazy slasher move, if I remember correctly. I remember the killer just screaming violently. So we have Hard Rock Zombies here and Rock We Trust. Love the poster art here. I actually have a poster of this one. Uh, I don't remember loving this movie. I've seen it a handful of times, but the poster art always rocked. Uh, I bet on Blu-ray it's a little bit better, to be honest. And then we also have Slaughterhouse Rock, another movie I never particularly liked. But, uh, yeah, great cover art as well. Two movies I both had on VHS. Now I got them on freaking uh, Blu-ray. Of course, uh, Slaughterhouse Rock was put out by uh, Code Red beforehand. So, yeah. Anyways, a good double feature release, uh, both of them. Um then we have Reform Girls, uh, Reform School Girls. Is this, a, is this a Tim Kincaid movie? Oh, it's a film by Tom DeSalmon. Um, this one I, I believe I had seen. Um, I think it's really sleazy and crazy and wild. I think Anchor Bay put out a DVD. I love that cover. I remember that cover for sure. Anyways, this looks like a, a wild ride. Definitely would want to rewatch this one. It's been a long time. So, yeah. Wendy O. Williams is in there, of course. Sybil Danning, of course. Uh, looks like a lot of fun. And I knew I do have, like, the more Vinegar Syndrome stuff coming, but it's going to be... It, it'll probably be here tomorrow or Monday or something like that. So, we're waiting. And then we have Dream a Little Dream by Vestron, uh, Corey Film. This is one that uh, I don't know if I've ever seen it. I know that I've seen the trailer a million times, and I feel like I probably did rent this because I've always was a fan of, like, the Corys because Lost Boys and the Goonies and shit. So, I don't know. But we have Jason Robards, Corey Feldman, Piper Laurie, uh, and frickin' Harry Dean Stanton, Corey Haim. That's, that's a strong cast. It's a memorable cast. Um, I'd really like to rewatch this if I, I don't remember it. Like it's one of those ones. Anyways, um, then we have The Accused with Kelly McGillis and Jodie Foster. Heard a lot about this movie. Uh, never actually did see it, but I've heard it referenced a lot of times and some disturbing stuff. I think it's a like a sexual assault case and it goes to court and everything like that. So yeah. Then we have Serpico with Al Pacino. Never actually seen this one either. Al Pacino goes an undercover cop. Uh, kind of a classic. A lot of people talk about this movie. So yeah. And then last uh, is a DVD of Battlefield Baseball. Obviously a rental, but hey, it, it's pretty hard to get. So hopefully this gets a Blu-ray. Subversive Films. That was always a pretty cool company. So yeah. Uh, director uh, produced produced by Japan's number one director uh, Kitamura, who did Versus, Godzilla: Final Wars, and a bunch of other freaking stuff too. So yeah, this is a fun movie. I covered it. Uh, I think last week. So yeah. Back to the video, guys. Okay, guys, thank you very much for watching, and as always, have a good one. Beep.